Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. It's November 15th, and I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and today I'm going to be talking with Marlene Sokol, our Hillsborough County education reporter. Here in Florida, we're all about elections. We've got recounts going on at all sorts of different levels, from our local elected officials up to the state elected officials, and so we're going to talk about elections and education. Okay, so Marlene, we had our elections come up and you know florida's got recount we don't have recounts for school boards so let's talk about what actually happened are you ready well, yeah i'm ready fortunately we don't have recounts for school board because last time around i had two recounts for lynn gray and um kathy james and so this time we got lucky there were some narrow results but everything was clean yeah but this year we had some really interesting things happen you know at the beginning of the of the season, they talked about possibly having an amendment that would look at, uh, among other things, school board term limits. And I'm looking at your board in Hillsborough County. You didn't need term limits to practically overturn half your board. Yes. Um, April Griffin left. Um, she she was done. And Susan Valdez, of course, went on to, to win a, a seat in the state house. And Sally Harris was replaced by Stacy Hahn. So, yeah, we've had a, a pretty severe change in our school board. When you say that Sally Harris re- was replaced, you're saying that she actually lost her re-election bid, right? Yes, and she lost in the first round, too. So it did not even go to a runoff. I looked at the results statewide, and we found that 27% of all incumbent school board members who were up for re-election this year either chose not to run again or they lost. And so I just wondered um, if the talk of term limits was premature or is 27% a good number? Yeah, and I'm not sure. I, I stay pretty closely focused to Hillsborough. I think, um, and it, it happened for a variety of reasons in Hillsborough. I think in terms of the Sally Harris and Stacey Hahn race, I, you know, I think there were some people who felt that that Sally Harris didn't pay enough attention to their particular schools or communities and others who felt that she was too much of a cheerleader and a booster and, and not really holding the administration accountable, which is not entirely fair. And I, I don't know how common this is on school boards, but I, I was speaking with Stacey Hahn, the new representative in South Tampa. One of the things that happens is even though you're supposed to, once you are elected, oversee the entire school district and really take ownership of the entire school district, the people who vote you in, they expect you to respond to them and to take care of the schools in your particular district. And I, I know one of the things that ha- that's happened with Stacey Hahn, and, and she has not even been sworn in yet. But she she is already being approached by people in South Tampa who want her to look out for the schools in South Tampa. And so that's kind of a paradox on school boards. So I don't know if if how many cases people were dissatisfied with the level of constituent service, you know, or what it was about. I know in Pinellas County, they had 
two of their incumbents who were tossed out. In Pasco County, we had one person who decided that two terms was enough, which is basically what that whole term limits thing was all about. Two terms is enough. If you can't get something done in eight years, then maybe it's time for somebody else with some fresh ideas and a new approach to come in and try something new. So we got a fresh 28-year-old teacher who won election in that race, and she promised to be a teacher on the school board to speak on behalf of the children, which was what Mr. Lucart, Steve Lucart, who resigned, retired, said that he was going to do, and he always did, but his approach was always like being the one in the four to one votes. Maybe she'll find some luck in um, getting some compromise and collaboration to go towards the same kind of ideas, but... Yeah, and it's all, it's always a trade-off because there is a learning curve and I've I've been doing this long enough that I have, you know, spoke, you know, gotten to know school board members when they're brand new. The first year really is a learning curve. I mean, just to understand school district finances, you can actually have a finance background, but but the but the way it works is so different from the corporate world. And you can have an education background, but there are still things that, you know, the first year really is a learning year. And, um, so yeah, being brand new, y- you will be limited in your impact. But the flip side of that is you did have people who were lifers and, and after too many terms on the board, you do become a part of the establishment. And then sometimes even brand new, you become enamored with going to the ceremonies and the ribbon cuttings and the luncheons and, it is very easy to become your part of the system and to really lose focus on your role as someone who was supposed to have oversight. Um, so it, it, it's a, it's a trade-off between being an insider and being brand new and not knowing what FTE is or how any of those technical things work. Well, now in Hillsborough, what would be the longest tenured board member sitting on the board? Three years? I would have to think about that and do the math. Cindy Stewart was reelected in 2016. She was reelected very easily. So I would say she's been there since 2012. I don't know if she's the longest serving, but she, she might be the longest serving at this point. But so you went from people who were there for more than a decade to now nobody's been there super long. And, and I just wonder, does now uh, Cindy Stewart or somebody with six years or however many years you said it was, um, wind up with enough experiences. She is experienced enough to be that voice of reason that, say, maybe a Linda Lerner in Pinellas County, who was on the board for 24 years before she retired, has you know, that sort of gravitas that she was there and she knew. When nobody else knew, she knew. Yeah, it, and it depends a, a lot on the dynamic, on the chemistry on the board, on who your superintendent there. I mean, Carol Cordell was there for 22 years, and you know, was that too long? I don't know. It depends if 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 you it were in agreement with the types of things that she was doing and supporting. You know, she was also a very strong supporter of the Gates effort, which turned out to be a disaster. I think right now the, the 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 biggest problem that the school board had until these elections was you had that four to three split to fire Mary Ellen Ilya three years ago and then to hire Jeff Akins. And although the four who did those two acts did not always work in lockstep, 
there there was a sense that these four individuals had to always defend their decision to fire Ely and hire Aikens. And then also the superintendent, Mr. Aikens, his fortunes would rise and fall with theirs. You know, if he failed, then it would be considered that they had failed. So that was a little bit unhealthy. And in my opinion, it got in the way of their ability to to really exercise oversight. So now that that group has been broken up, so to speak, um, you know, and Cindy Stewart is a very independent thinker. She's not someone who blindly follows everything the administration is doing. If anything, she is very vigilant. But I think it is healthier now that we have seven individuals who really are not allied with one camp or the other camp and, and, and are not really colored by that those decisions that were made in 2015. Hillsborough County also had the tax election, which was something that we saw going on across the state of Florida. There were over the two election cycles, primary and general, 18 property and sales taxes that were approved for schools by their voters to raise money. So I'm just wondering now, does since that passed and in Superintendent Aiken's situation, he was the spearhead for that. Is, is he safer now than what he might have been, knowing that all of his protectors are gone? Um, I think he's fairly safe, I, I, you know, and I think he definitely gets high marks for for the way he helped get this resolute this uh, referendum passed. He was the face of the referendum. It, it's also worth pointing out that. The teachers union, the PTAs, these grassroots organizations, they did a lot of the knocking on doors and the speaking in remote parts of the district. So it really was a partnership. It really was a collaboration. Um, and it was a win for both sides. I think it improved the relationship between the district and the teachers, which was very badly strained by the wage dispute that lasted for more than a year. So now the two sides have come together, and so it's a much friendlier relationship that, than it was, you know, just six months ago. So, yes, it was a win for the superintendent. It was a win for the union, and I think a lot of people are breathing a sigh of relief because they don't have to go through another campaign, which they had committed to going back in March if they did not win in November and it gives them some breathing room in terms of their financial situation. It does not solve their financial problems by any means, but it does give them some some breathing room. And I think, and this is one of the reasons I believe why our newspaper supported it, and I spoke to Paul Tash just a few days before the election, our, our chairman. Um, we did not want to see the public schools become the school of last resort. And, and, and that's become a danger. It still is a danger, but even more of a danger if the public felt that the only way to have air conditioning in your child's school was to send him to a charter school, I think we would have seen an even speedier exodus of, of middle and upper middle class families to the charter schools. That exodus is still happening. It's still a problem. It's something that all school systems have to watch very carefully because we see it year after year. But that problem, I think, would have been even worse had the referendum not passed because so many people were aware of the crisis involving the air conditioning and the physical condition of the schools. 
it's really interesting when you look at these uh, referendums across the state of Florida. Some were being used for, like you said, air conditioning, capital projects, construction projects. Others were being used for security enhancements that the legislature required but then didn't fully pay for. Some were being used, like in Miami-Dade, to increase teacher salaries. And I know that those things are all very desirable for the people in the school systems, for the parents who want to have good school systems. But the question has come up now, what's going to happen if we start relying more and more on these taxes that are approved locally and the legislature, which is pretty anti-tax, and the new governor who looks to be somebody who's very anti-tax if Ron DeSantis does win his recount? as expected. So so we wind up in a situation then where we could wind up with some inequities, which was exactly what the whole 1970s era program for funding was set up to do. We have countywide districts to to blend the sort of sulfur springs with the temple terraces and the rich and the poors. And then you have the you have like the because they're countywide and also statewide sharing of funds, you don't wind up you shouldn't wind up with a Gadsden County getting too much less per student than a Collier County. But yeah, and you had an excellent story on that, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but you, you had put, put those ideas together very well in your, in, in the story that you did last week. Um, Yeah, it does create inequities and it, it's just, I don't know in, in a, and the irony of it, of course, in the case of a sales tax, a sales tax is very regressive. So, so what you wind up doing is going to the public and saying, in order to give our schools, our school children what they need, you need to pay more money at the cash register when, when, when you buy basic necessities for your family. So it, it does increase inequity from one county to the next. Um, in a school district as large as Hillsborough and probably in many of these, the others as well, you also have to look at equity from school to school. And that's really what has to happen right now. They have this infusion of money. They need to make sure that, that the schools are being, you know, that they're being taken care of in an equitable way and that inner city schools aren't falling apart while newer schools in more affluent areas are looking much better. The other interesting part about that is that they're renewable, which means that they're also rejectable so to speak. You can you can take the voters and say, we'd like you to give us another 10 years on this sales tax or another four years on this property tax. And if they say no, then suddenly your revenue stream is gone. I know in Pinellas County, when they write out their paychecks, they have a local property tax and they, they have a line in there that basically says, this part of your pay salary is because of the property tax revenue. And if it goes away, you will lose this part of your salary. That's part of the reason why the Pasco County superintendent has been so reluctant to ask his board to support a property tax referendum as teachers have been requesting so they can boost up their salaries because he says he doesn't want to give them something and then have voters take it away four years later. Yeah, and that's the difference between the local option, which which goes to salaries, which must be renewed every every four years, um, <clears throat> and a sales tax, which which is, you know, it can it's not renewable every it depends on the wording of the referendum what they did very smartly in hillsborough was they said this sales tax is only for 10 years they could have gone longer and one of the reasons they chose 10 years is because most of their outstanding debt the billion dollars in mortgages those will be paid off in 10 years so the feeling was 
All right. Even if we cannot renew it in 10 years, at least we'll, we'll have some breathing room from our mortgages being paid off. You know, they, they still are at least a billion dollars in the hole as far as what they need for new construction. But what they're getting in the sales tax in 10 years, if they could not renew it, it won't, they won't be back to square one because they'll have money freed up that they won't be paying into debt service. It, I saw in the Palm Beach Post that the Palm Beach County School District sales tax is actually generating so much extra money. And this was one that was passed a little while back that they're talking about only collecting for nine out of the 10 years because they feel like they'll have enough to do all the things that they promised to do. I know that in Pasco, Pasco County, by contrast, they said that they also are collecting well, well beyond what they anticipated, but they're talking about maybe adding an extra project. That would be amazing. And I don't know if that's possible in Hillsborough or not, quite honestly. In fact, during one conversation with Superintendent Akins, he was saying that even if it passed, it, it still would not be enough to do everything that they need to do, primarily on the air conditioners, and that they may have to look at some, you know, creative financing scenarios. To, so, you know, now part of the problem with air conditioners in Hillsboro, which gets the most attention, is that you really can only do about 20 a year because there there are not enough vendors and there are not enough technicians and there are not enough industrial-sized air conditioners. But I would be surprised if Hillsboro actually had a surplus, you know, in the money that they're connect, collecting through this tax, although I, I could be wrong. I still find it astounding that they had that many backed up air conditioning projects to do because that just seems like it should be basic in Florida, well, especially. Yeah. And, and what, what I'm curious about, and some of the board members I've spoken to will be looking closely at this. I think people kind of sat back for the most part and they allowed them to campaign for, for the referendum, for the sales tax, and really didn't get in the way of it. You didn't see a whole lot of opposition. The feeling was, all right, we need the money, so I, I'm either going to stay quiet or or I'll support it. But once it passed, the expectation was we need to put some scrutiny on the district and on its maintenance department because, and I, and I think I wrote one story about this, but not very many, because here's the problem for at least a decade, they were spending less on maintenance than any other large district. And I actually rolled back the numbers on this. Every audit that's been done shows severe deficiencies in their maintenance side. They, they had 80 vacancies in their maintenance department. So air conditioners that were supposed to last between 20 and 25 years were only lasting for 10 years. And so that's not a situation that should be allowed to continue. So now that the tax has passed, I think there will be some scrutiny. Certainly, I'll be asking questions and, and looking at whatever I can look at. Because you don't want, uh, you know, $600 million to, to go to new air conditioners that fall apart prematurely. So as we're paying attention to these oversight committees, I know that Hillsborough has some pretty high profile people on its committee and other districts are setting up theirs as well. We're also going to be paying attention to the legislature, what it decides to do with um, taxes I know that Amendment 5 is a big deal because it also is talking about like how much can they allow taxes to go up and who and how much of a majority do they need. But first they need to define what a 
tax increase is. So it's going to be a finance and finance kind of year, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and the half mill. What they keep saying in Hillsboro is when when we lost the ability to collect that half mill um, in property taxes for the schools. And this was during the recession. It went from a two mill cap to 1.75 to 1.5. That half mill, which they never got back after, after the economic recovery, that, that really made the bulk of the difference in, in money that was not available for capital needs. So yeah, so much of this is at the state level and so much will depend on not just this legislature, but two years from now. So it's all very fluid as, as far as funding formulas and, and what the schools can collect. And as we were saying at the beginning, elections matter. That's why we're paying attention to this as everybody else is talking about their recount for the senator and the governor. We're going to stay focused here on education, and there's a lot to be said, isn't there? Absolutely. So Marlene, thanks again for spending some time talking about this stuff, and I look forward to your reports on what happens on all these things and, and everybody else's too. We've, there's a lot of good people still doing a lot of good stuff around the state on their school systems, even as our industry seems to be shrinking. Yeah, no, we're keeping our eye on the ball and, and you in particular, Jeff. I, I so appreciate everything you do. That's the end of our conversation. If you'd like to participate, please join us on our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To follow all the latest in Florida education news, Go to our blog, www.tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. And please continue to rate and review and share this podcast. Send us your ideas so we can talk about what you're interested in. Next week, we'll be taking off for Thanksgiving. We hope you all have a terrific holiday. And then we'll be back with more Florida Education News. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. 